You all sung all my favorite songs this morning. Thank you. I was at my dentist a few weeks ago when he said, and I was wondering if you might have ever preached on a subject I've thought about quite often. Have you ever preached on the text, whoever put his hand on the plow and looks back isn't fit for the kingdom? And I thought for a minute and I said, no, I don't think I've preached from that text before. And he said, well, I've always wondered what that meant. Well, I know a challenge when I hear one, and occasionally I take requests. So this one is for my dentist, and it's for me, and it's for any of you out here that would wonder what it might mean when Jesus said to follow Christ is to put a hand to the plow and not look back. Luke is the one who reported this saying, and according to him, Jesus said it at the end of a string of very harsh words. Jesus could sound almost impossible at times. Sometimes his words seem to strike us like a fist, to wake us up, to give us a sense of the gravity of the situation. And on this particular day, Three people came to him asking to follow him. Now, they seem to us like perfectly good people with wonderfully good intentions, but Jesus brought them up short. The first one comes and says, Jesus, I want to follow you anywhere. But Jesus coldly replies, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And that's all he said. Now imagine someone coming up to Pastor Tim saying, Pastor Tim, I have decided to follow Jesus. And his response is, sorry, birds have nests, dogs have houses, but you have no place to lay your head. Think you'd probably look for another church? Now Jesus looks at another and says, follow me. And he says, I will, only my dad is dying and I'll care for him in his final hours and I'll care for the family and I'll follow you. And Jesus answered him by saying, let the dead bury the dead. And so another comes to him, Lord, I'll follow you. I'll go home right now and tell my family goodbye. And it's to him that Jesus says, listen, to anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back, is it fit for the kingdom? Now, what is going on here? Does it seem to you like Jesus is having a bad day? He's kind of grumpy and out of sorts. Did he not get enough sleep? Did he get up on the wrong side of the bed? Of course, to take care of our loved ones, to be a Christian is not to become more inhuman but to become more human. So it's our sacred duty to take care of our loved ones. So why? Why is Jesus so harsh with a son who wants to bury his father, with a man who simply wants to tell his family goodbye? What could Jesus possibly mean? Perhaps he means this. We do have a false inclination, most of us, to make God a peace of our life, laid alongside all the other little pieces. Here's God, here's family, here's friends, here's work, here's leisure. And then we have all these commitments laid out in little compartments before us and we try to meet the needs of each. 
sort of a little like the old entertainer I used to see when I was really small on that Ted Max amateur hour when they tried to keep the plates spinning on the poles. Do you remember that? And that's how life feels sometimes for most of us. We spin this one for God and spin this one for friends and this one for family and this one's for church. No wonder we're so dizzy. No wonder we are always tired and feel split apart. I think Jesus' harsh words are for knocking down the plates and the poles and to show us a different way. In the way of Jesus, we don't stand in the center of all these multiple commitments and pivot from one commitment to the other. With him, we move. We move forward to a single commitment with all that we are and all that we have. We pursue the one desire to love God and be obedient to God. And we do this with God not as a priority, not even as a first priority. God is the whole ground that we stand on and the only goal that we move toward. And as we do, all these other concerns are unified and straightened. God will not be our little hobby. To keep moving forward in God's purpose means that we have a unified life with the focus and the freedom to do everything else we need to do. Thomas Merton is one of my favorite writers, and he says, if you want to have a spiritual life, you must unify your life. Life is either all spiritual or not spiritual at all. Jesus says it is like plowing. Now, I understand this analogy. I grew up on a large farm. My dad had a tractor, but our elderly neighbor still used a plow and a mule to break up his garden. And to my siblings and I, that was way more cool than a silly tractor. And we loved it when he would let us try to plow by hand. Now, what do you do when you plow by hand? Well, you don't push it. You have a horse or a mule, maybe a spouse, who pulls it. And what you do is you walk behind and you harness yourself in and you get moving and you have to move very quickly. The pace of plowing is pretty quick. And you always lean forward. And as you move, that plowshare cuts a deep into the soil and slices the earth and opens back a big black furrow of dirt. And you walk behind the plow to keep the cut moving and to check on the depth and the direction. You have to keep it straight. And to do this, you have to face forward, not to the mule. You have a great view of that mule's backside if that's where you choose to look, but that doesn't get the job done. Instead, you have to look far down the row and focus on a tree, for instance. And you focus on that and your steps follow and so does the plow. And Jesus says, this is what it's like to lead a faithful life. You lean forward, you keep moving, and you don't look back. The reason you don't look back is that if you do, you stop moving, or you start moving in crazy, squiggly circles that get you nowhere at all. Now, you may not have ever plowed a garden in your life, but you have probably mowed a lawn 
Can you imagine mowing the lawn with your head looking back over your shoulder? Not only would you mow down all kinds of things that are not grass, including maybe a neighborhood kid or two, but suppose behind you, you see something that looks interesting and you think, oh, I'll go mow that. Or you see this fascinating patch of crabgrass and think, I'll go mow that. What would it look like when you were done? Sometimes it would look a lot like our lives when we don't face forward, when we don't keep our eyes on Jesus. Imagine driving a car with your face looking backward, eager to see everywhere you've been. The wreckage that would result would look a little like our lives look when we can't stop from going back. It's true though, the past has a powerful pull. Everybody has the pull of some wonderful glory days. Remember when you were young, you had lots of energy, you had your friends and your spouse and the kids were little and cute and you knew who you were. They were good times. And that kind of time can call you back and call your name again and again where you want to sit down and look at it and gaze for it. Everybody feels the pull of the past. They also feel the pull of the past with failures and disappointments and sins. And there isn't a life in this room now that isn't littered with it, all kinds of events and encounters and sins that we wish had never been. And they pull us sometimes like a magnet and we turn around and we run around and we go back there again and again. There's that pull of resentment that turns us back to chew on an old bitterness, like going out back every day and pulling up the rock to make sure the ugly thing is still there. There's that pull of regret that sends us running and pounding on the closed door of the past saying, oh, if only, if only, there's that pull of remorse that sends us back, berating ourselves, how could I? How could I? And then there's the sins themselves, all those past patterns that used to be killing us. They still call our names, don't they? Saying, come back. Come back. This is what gives you comfort. This is what you know. This is what you deserve. It's easy to go back to the past, isn't it? But it isn't living. God has set before us a life, and to live the life, you must look to the day. This day, this week, that stretches out before us like a field, and there is Christ right there in front of you, and he's saying, follow me now, in this day that I give you for living and loving and moving with me. And if you turn and you fix your gaze on him and follow those feet, you may feel the pull of the past and you can't stop thinking about what's happened, what you've left, what you've lost. And if you do, talk to him about it. Lord, I've messed up back there. I ruined everything. It's all forgiven, Jesus says. Follow me. Lord, I've been hurt. They hurt me. You don't need their apology to be healed. I can heal you. Follow me. Lord, the ground around me now is suddenly strange and unforgiving, and I don't know where I am anymore. I want to go back to the way it used to be. Child, I am leading you home this way. Follow me. Faithful living 
is forward movement. It is leaning ahead towards Christ. So faithful living is refusing those two deadly alternatives, regressing to where we used to be or fixating on where we are. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it starkly, one moves ahead or one is not with God. And this is true with our faith. You are either growing or something in you is dying. Too many of us settle comfortably inside a religious system and look at it like a cat in a basket, but that is not faith. Faith refuses to stay still. Faith always wants to learn more, love more, serve more, discover more. Faith is hungry to be fully awake to all of God that we can possibly know to all of God that we can touch, and to all of our purposes that we can reach. So faith will take steps one at a time, day by day, eyes on Christ, leaving the past, greeting the future, living the day. But there will be obstacles. Our problems did not just happen yesterday. The path forward is littered with hindrances, dangers, threats, adversaries, Jesus never said that following him would be easy. You walk the path and you're plowing for a while and all of a sudden you hit a stone and it jars you to the bone. You can feel it. Be very clear. You will strike resistance, but also be resolved that it will not turn you back. In John Bunyan's story, The Pilgrim's Progress, one of the first episodes that befalls Christian on his way to that celestial city is a tumble into the slough of despond. He's walking along the way, talking to his companion, Mr. Pliable, when all of a sudden they both fall splat into the bog and they're covered with mud and muck. And Mr. Pliable says in his 17th century equivalent, well, Christian, this is another fine mess you got us into. But then Bunyan says, Mr. Pliable, with a desperate struggle or two, got out of the slough nearest the side to his house. But Christian struggled through and got out on the other side where he found help and solid ground. My friends, we will struggle. Only see to it that as we struggle, we struggle forward and through the resistance, through it because Jesus has called us to follow him and following doesn't turn back. Clarence Jordan was a widely admired Bible scholar and minister. From a very early age, he was troubled by the racial and economic injustice he saw everywhere, especially in the South. And in the midst of a segregated and racist society, Jordan, in his own words, said he envisioned a place where blacks and whites could live and work together in partnership. And based on a radical call to discipleship, Jordan founded a community that was committed to racial integration and nonviolence. That community grew through the turbulent 1950s, and as the Jordans and their neighbors farmed together, ate together, prayed together. That farm withstood threats, property damage, excommunication from churches and grand jury investigations, economic boycotts, and even Ku Klux Klan attacks. Clarence had given all that he was and had to God. He was committed. 
One day, Clarence approached his brother Robert, an attorney who later became a state senator, about representing the community against one of the government's frivolous lawsuits. And Robert stated he couldn't represent them. Clarence, I've got hopes and dreams, other things I want. If I represent you, Clarence, I might lose everything I've got. Well, we might lose everything too, Bob, but it's different for you. Well, why is it different? I remember that you and I joined the church at the same time. When I came forward, the preacher asked me the same question he asked you. He said to me, do you accept Jesus Christ as your savior? Do you want to follow him? I said, yes. Bob, what did you say? Look, I follow Jesus up to a point, Clarence. Well, could that point by any chance be the cross? That's right. I follow him to the cross, but not on the cross. I am not getting myself crucified. Then I don't believe you're a disciple. You're an admirer of Jesus, Clarence, but not a disciple of his. To be true followers of Jesus, there is no looking back. Our eyes must be focused solely on Jesus. What about you? Are you an admirer or disciple? The farmer walks all the way down the field again and again, not for the exercise, but in the hope that the good seed will take root in a faithful earth, and that behind all that he has plowed, God will grow an abundant harvest. Believe this, if the feet of your life are following Jesus, you are never on a barren walk. If you're following, there's plowing going on, and everything behind you can be given to the grace of God with a surprising harvest, even those crazy crooked circles that seem like they get us nowhere. The reason we look back sometimes is because we are anxious. We're anxious, but those that have Christ in our gaze can see a hope larger than any reason to be anxious. And hope in God can always sustain us. So have you sighed enough and worried enough and cried enough over where you've been? Have you looked long enough and regretted enough and wished enough for what you could keep, but you can't? Then face is forward now, a hand to the task and a hand to this day, eyes up to the Christ who goes before us, and as you lean into that plow, say it with Paul, forgetting what lies behind and striving forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Let it be. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, turn us away from every dream, desire, or memory that would keep us from forward movement with you. Help us to always keep our eyes on you. You are our all in all. Help us to follow the path that you lead that takes us home. Amen. Our final